Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikbat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvatisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Sheba Shemaim, our Father in Heaven, thank you that you uh, have visited us by your presence this morning, O oh God, and that uh, your love for us is so strong and able to rescue us. And we pray that your word would um, penetrate our hearts, that we would come away with something from you, O oh God, um, that uh, I would become less, that you would become more, and that your people would be built up and edified. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so there were two guys working for the city quite busily along the side of the street. One guy was frantically digging holes, and the other guy was quickly filling them back up with the same dirt. They went along like this for hours until someone came by and saw what they were doing. What is going on here? How come this guy is digging a hole and the other guy is just filling it back in? Is this a good use of our tax dollars? Well, one of the men, men answered, well, you know, <laughs> that lazy guy who plants the trees took the day off again, so here we are. This brings us to the question, <laughs> what? <laughs> Bonnie likes that. She works for the city, yeah, or she did. She's retired. Okay. Yeah, all right. Okay, so <laughs> this is derailing quickly. Um, this brings us to the question I thought of while reading this week's Haftarah portion. Is it better to do nothing, like the man who took the day off, or is it better to do too much, like the two guys that were digging the holes and filling them back in? Which do we tend toward? Do we tend to be lazy and passive, or do we run around like a frantic chicken trying to put out fires? I was mixing too many metaphors there, but I think you get the idea. Some people like to confront, to challenge, to be active all the time. Some people just kind of like to let things go, keep the peace, go with the flow, right? We could probably identify with one of those two, right? Am I seeing nods or yes? Okay. All right. So let's take a look at our portion for the week. Of course, the rabbis chose the Haftarah portion from the writings and the prophets because there's some kind of link to the Torah portion, and I think I found it. So um, here is, uh, we're going to start with a little Hebrew, because I, you guys like Hebrew? Yeah, all right. So uh, this, is, uh, this is from the Haftarah portion here. Who can read this? We'll see if we can read it together. Ha-ve-ha-melech, David, Zakain, Ba-bayamim. All right? So let's try that. Uh, why don't you repeat after me? Let's see if we can do this. Vehamelech, David, Zakain. What do you think Zakain is? Yes, I'm acting it out for you. Old, right? Ba beyamim. So, uh, so this is uh, Zakain is also the word for elder, 
right? We have zakanim. We have elders in our community. So I could say Eric zaken, right? And he wouldn't be offended because Eric is an elder, right? There's another way we could translate that, but we won't go there, right? Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> are you offended? No. No, he's old. He's owning it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, all right. He's old and wise, and yeah, that's the way it is. Okay, so this, the whole thing literally is King David was old, and many days had come, or usually it says advanced in years. This is how the Haftarah portion begins, and it's linked to the Torah portion by this exact phrase in Hebrew. Do you, do you remember hearing this earlier about another patriarch in the Torah portion? Who, who are we talking about in the Torah portion? Abraham, Avraham. So this is what it says in the beginning of our Torah portion, or in, in somewhere in the Torah portion, which we read, uh, which uh, Kathy, Kathy read um, earlier. Let's see if we can read this. The Avraham, Zakain, Ba, Beyamim. Same phrase, right? Except instead of King David, now it's Abraham. Okay, so when you see common Hebrew phrases, that invites us to do what? To compare and contrast these two lives, David and Abraham, especially how they acted in the latter part of their life. What was, it, what was going on here? These are two men, of course, that were flawed, two men used by the Lord greatly, and both ancestors of Messiah Yeshua, who is over all. But I think if we look at the story here, we'll find a startling difference between their, let's say, retirement years, okay? So in this week's Torah portion, uh, Avraham buries his wife, Sarah, and then even in his grief, he's looking forward. He looks toward the inheritance and future of his son, Isaac. We read a little bit of that. And by making sure that he finds a wife of noble character, of common values, who is able of her own free will to choose to partner with Isaac, his son, and to bring forth a peoplehood that would bring blessing to all the nations of the earth. So this was a big deal. And Avraham is introduced in the episode like this, and um, we know the first part of the sentence, he was old and full of days, but there's a second part of the sentence. It says, and Adonai had blessed him in everything. Do you remember reading that earlier in our Torah portion? All right. And our Hof Torah portion uh, has the same phrase, but the end of the sentence is quite different. This is what it says. King David was old, advanced in years, and he couldn't get warm, even when they covered him with many clothes. David is only 70 years old at this point, right? And, uh, but he's, he's a mere shadow of the man that he was in his youth. Remember, this was the guy who took down a giant with just a couple stones. He wrote a great chunk of the Psalms on his harp. He was a worship leader. He was called a man after God's own heart. So what's going on here? Why, why is he in this state? Well, I think we can trace uh, David's downfall to the episode with Bathsheba. And this is a pretty famous story, but let's recap. So he is a younger man at this point. He sees a beautiful woman on the roof, and then, but it turns out she's married. So he has her husband killed in battle, and then he takes her for his wife, and he thinks, oh, I got away with this great scheme. I'm, I'm sitting high here. 
right? But his friend Nathan confronts him with a story. And uh, he tells a story about a man who had a little lamb that he loved like a child, right? And, uh, and how a rich man came and took the lamb and, that he loved, and uh, he threw a big party for himself and slaughtered the lamb. And David was outraged at this man. And then Nathan says, actually, uh, you're the man, right? He confronts him with this story, and uh, that's, that's what happens. And so David repents, and we have... Uh, the, the kind of uh, aftermath of that. The first child from David's union with Bathsheba, she dies as judgment for uh, David's heartless actions. But then Bathsheba has another son. Do we know who this is? This is Solomon, right? Okay, and Solomon, of course, lives. So, Let's look at David's behavior after this episode, because this we might not be as familiar with this. And this is one of the reasons that we're preaching through the Haftarah portions, because, you know, kind of getting a sense of these other sections of the scripture that we might not know as well. So what happens? Second Samuel 13 has a, a very horrifying story about Amnon and his desire for his half-sister Tamar. These are all David's children in some way. Tamar is also the full sister of Absalom, who will come up later. And this whole thing mirrors the David and Bathsheba story, if you think about it. And verse 21 simply says, when King David heard about all these things, he became very angry. But his anger didn't lead to disciplining or correcting Amnon or addressing and comforting Tamar, his daughter, or speaking to Absalom, the full brother of Tamar, who ended up building up resentment toward Amnon, which led him to avenge his sister, and he kills Amnon. Are you following with me? So there's all this, you know, murder and anger um, building up. And then Absalom flees to, uh, to, uh, to avoid uh, being avenged himself, right? And David, again, is passive here, and he had to be persuaded to, to, to reach out to Absalom. He's just kind of brooding, and, and uh, one of his uh, advisors is like, you know, you should probably go see your son, right? And it has to prod him, because he's just like, oh, I miss him, but I don't know what to do, right? And uh, it took, took years for him to... Uh, confront Absalom or, or even see his face. So there's a lot of time passing here. Eventually, if we know the story, his handsome and proud son Absalom rises up against David, trying to overthrow his authority, to which David responds again passively. What does he do? He runs away, right? Rather than confronting his son, even confronting in love, right? And this passiveness ends up with the death of Absalom, okay? Because the situation has now spiraled out of control. David's followers, the people that are with him, are dismayed because David is so grief-stricken at the loss of his son, Absalom. He's unable to see his own supporters that were with him when he fled. So his advisor and general, Joab... Um, he confronts him, and uh, he says this. He, um, and, he, and you can tell that he's starting to become embittered himself toward David when he gives this advice. 
So then Joab came to the house to the king and said, Today you have humiliated all your servants, who this day have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, and the lives of your wives, and the lives of your concubines, by loving those who hate you and hating those who love you. For you have shown today that officers and officials are nothing to you. For today I realize that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead, then it would have pleased you well. So now go arise, go out, and speak to the heart of your servants. For I swear by Adonai that if you do not go out, not a single man will stay with you tonight. And that would be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. Okay, are, are we following the story okay? It's, it's a little bit complicated. The unfortunate thing is that the sins that he commits with Bathsheba, it's a, what is that? It's a perversion of intimacy, which God ordained, right? It's violence and murder. And these are passed down to the next generation because David never teaches his children from his mistakes, right? To sin against God is one thing, right? But to allow one's mistakes to be passed along without warning the next generation, that's another, I think, more serious thing. There seems to be a kind of distance and a failure to protect and discipline his children that we see in King David after, after the Bathsheba incident. And this brings us to this week's very interesting Haftarah portion, okay? So uh, now we're, we're, remember the scene, the king was old and covered with clothes in his bed and still couldn't get warm. So they find a, an unusual situ, uh, solution to this problem. They find a beautiful young woman, Avishag, to be his, you know, snuggle buddy. Uh, but the text says literally the king knew her not. Okay, I guess there were no, you know, heated electric blankets at the time, so this was the best they could do. Um, but um, anyway, this highlights the contrast between the young David who had uh, uncontrollable, right, desire, and that controlled him to the point where now he's old and in bed and he's powerless and he has no desire. And there's also a sense that David doesn't know things, because that's the word in Hebrew, right? He doesn't know Abishag, and he also doesn't know what's going on, right? Because there's another situation with his son, as we shall see. Uh, the events that, that come up show that David is, he's out of the loop, right? He doesn't know, okay? And all the players we met in 2 Samuel are still here in, in 1 Kings. So we remember Bathsheba, right? This is the wife he stole from another man. We remember Solomon, their second son together. We remember Nathan, his prophetic friend that kind of keeps him on track. And we remember Joab, who was his military advisor, who's now grown a little bit bitter. And so let's pick up the story in 1 Kings 1, verse 5. And here we get to know another one of David's sons, Adonijah, who is now, guess what? The king's oldest son since Absalom's death right? So you think about what the oldest son, what the expectations would be there. Now Adonijah, son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I'll be king. So he prepared himself chariots, horsemen, and 50 men to run before him. His father had not scolded him at any time by asking, why have you behaved this way? He also was a very handsome man, and he was born after Absalom. Okay, so what is the text showing us here? King David never 
disciplined him, right? He never interfered with his upbringing. He never questioned him. And we've seen that evidence before with Amnon and Absalom. It's this kind of policy of non-interference. This is the kind of parenting where everything the child does and wants is just fine. And we know that's probably not going to turn out so good, right? Okay? And the text also tells us this detail that he was handsome, like Absalom, right? Remember what happened with Absalom. Absalom rose up to try to take over the throne, and then he died in the process, right? So what do we think will happen next with David's continued inaction and with this son that's rising up to try to take the throne? Probably not something good, right? Let's follow it in verse 7. So he, that is Adonijah, conferred with Joab, son of Zariah, and with Abiathar the Cohen. Following Adonijah, they supported him. But Zadok the Cohen, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, remember Nathan, Shimei, Ray, and David's mighty men were not on Adonijah's side. Then Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the stone of Zeholeth, which is beside Enrogel. And invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not send an invitation. Maybe it got lost in the mail, right? He did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the mighty men, or Solomon his brother, right? But Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, saying, Haven't you heard that Adonijah, son of Haggith, has assumed the kingship, and our lord David doesn't know it? Now come, please let me give you advice. Save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go at once to King David and say to him, My lord the king, haven't you sworn to your handmaid, saying, Surely your son Solomon will become king after me, and he will sit on my throne. Then why does Adonijah reign? Behold, while you are still there talking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. So what's happening here? Adonijah thinks he will become king, and so he throws himself a great big party for himself, right? But conveniently, he doesn't invite Nathan or Solomon or people that he thinks are with David, right? So Nathan and Bathsheba, they have to construct a way to confront this ailing king on his deathbed because he does not, remember, he doesn't know what's going on. So Bathsheba here shows a little bit of what I would call shrewdness, okay? So she kind of takes Nathan's advice, but she kind of does her own thing as well. So let's see what, what happens. So Bathsheba went to the king into the chamber. Now the king was very old, we know this, with Abishag, the Shunammite, serving the king. So Abishag is there. Bathsheba bowed and prostrated herself to the king. And the king asked, what troubles you? She said to him, My lord, you swore by Adonai your God to your handmaid. Surely Solomon your son will be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. Yet now, behold, Adonijah reigns, though you do not know it, my lord the king. He has sacrificed oxen, fat and cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons, Abiathar the Cohen and Joab the commander of the army. But he has not invited Solomon your servant. As for you, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, it will come to pass when my lord the king sleeps with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be considered traitors. A few things to notice here, okay? 
Remember Abishag, the snuggle buddy? She's right there serving the king when Bathsheba comes in to address him. Imagine what she must have been thinking and feeling to see her husband attended by this woman, right? But she presses through. She's a woman with a mission, right? And she states that Solomon, their son together, was the promise, was promised the throne by King David. But there's a problem with that. Problem is, this is never mentioned in the biblical text. So there's two possibilities. The promise that a descendant of King David would rule over Israel forever was covenanted by God. It has to be a descendant, but not that it would be Solomon specifically. So what's going on here? Well, perhaps David indicated to the, this to her at some point. He said, your son Solomon will reign after me, but it's not in the text. It's not in the scriptures, right? That's possible. Who thinks that's what happened? Yeah, okay. All right, a couple people. All right, and there's another possibility. What's the other possibility? She's doing a little bit of uh, finagling here, right? Okay, so she's uh, advocating for her son as the chosen king, right? This would have some precedence in the scriptures. Remember, Rebecca convinces Jacob to do what? To deceive the ailing father, right, and to dress up like Esau, to impersonate his brother so that he can get the blessing of the father, right? So who thinks that's what's going on here? A little bit of finagling. All right, yeah. Okay, it's possible. Is everything that she's saying uh, 100% accurate, right? Is it true that Adonijah reigns? She said Adonijah is reigning, right, as king. Is that true? Or did he just kind of throw a party, and say that he was, or think that he was king, right? So she's, um, perhaps she's embellishing a little bit, right? Okay? Compared uh, to King David, we have a totally different way of operating, right? David is passive, and Bathsheba is active, and perhaps even overactive, right? She's quite shrewd. She's, you know, finagling. She's uh, wheeling and dealing here, right? But she's advocating for something good, right? But how is she doing that, right? I, I, I like to call her in this episode, I call her the negotiator, right? Yeah, you don't mess with her. So is it better to do nothing and be passive or to be shrewd and perhaps do too much? Which is better? The text seems to favor those who act in some way, right? even if it's not always 100% kosher, right? We may not all be parents, but we are all called to act, to confront in love, and to disciple uh, others, right? Those younger than us in, in community. Um, to, um, we're, not, we're not called to just sit back and let, you know, let things just happen, right? Sometimes we're called to, to act, and we are also called to learn from our mistakes and to pass that down to the next generation, right? To turn back. Scripture says when you, when you repent that you turn back and strengthen your brothers and sisters, right? So that they don't fall, okay? So we have to have a heart for others, right? We've all fallen short and we've all messed up. Why not 
pass that on, pass on that wisdom to bless someone else, right? You don't want to waste your sins, right? Waste your mistakes, right? There's God brought you through something, and there's something that we have that we can share to bless others. I think, you know, this is speculating, but I think King David never really recovered from this episode with Bathsheba because he let it kind of define him in a way, right? Um, You know, my wife got me this great book once, which uh, really encouraged me, and just the title is encouraging. It's called, Sometimes You Win, Sometimes You... You think it would say lose, right? But it actually says lose, and the lose is crossed out, and the word learn is written in there. Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Even the title on the cover has a mistake on it, right? Though this, this might be intentional now that I think about it, but the, the, I think we get the point, right? And uh, what about those finaglers, right? What about those shrewd individuals who do perhaps too much, We think of the shrewd Jacob, right? The bold Bathsheba. There's a lot we can admire here. Bathsheba's name is is interesting. Do we know what what her name means? This kind of helps us interpret. Bat-sheva. What's bat? Bat, no, that's bait. Bait is house. Bat is daughter. And sheva is oath. Daughter of the oath here. Right? So she's really living up to her name. And uh, she clings to the oath of King David. And she leans on the covenantal promise of kingship uh, of David, which is being built by God. Right? So the values of Jacob and Bathsheba are good. But, you know, we would say their methods are, need a little bit of refining. Right? Um, these stories also highlight the, that God is clever. And God is shrewd in dealing with us. And he can use his sovereignty, he can use all things, work together for his divine purpose, for the good of those who love him. And of course, we see that Solomon was God's choice, right? And the eternal kingship of the house of David, however, would not flourish really under Solomon. It kind of got started a little bit, but that that promise of the the king that would rule forever in the line of David, that didn't really happen until years later, right? The unlikeliest of kings shows up, a descendant of David, the seed of David and the seed of Abraham. And this king strikes a really interesting balance because he's not passive, right? But he doesn't struggle and scramble for power, right? This is what Jacob and this is what Bathsheba are doing. They're scrambling for that throne. Where does that come from? That comes from Adam and Eve. They're grasping at power. They're trying to overtake the throne of God, just like Absalom and Adonijah did, right? But what does that lead to? But this king that I'm describing, this descendant of David, He walks humbly. He responds with forgiveness. And he says things like, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, one greater than Solomon is here because he served the least of these, Yeshua, the Messiah. Baruch Hashem. Let's pray.
Abba, thank you that um, you've given us these very interesting stories that um, shed light on what we're supposed to do and the choices that we make in our lives, Lord. Help us not to uh, do too little, O oh God, and to be passive. And help us, Lord, not to do too much and to finagle and, and scramble for power, Lord. But help us to uh, walk as, as you walked, O oh Lord, Yeshua. Uh, to, to walk in humility, to walk in, um, in forgiveness and in deference, Lord, and uh, to, to be a blessing. And help us also, Lord, to pass on to our children and to our brothers and sisters the things that we've learned from you, Lord, that when we confront, when we do end up confronting, that we do so in love and with, with a hope that we can bless someone else from what we've experienced, O oh God, because you are the one who brought us through, and you are faithful. And in Yeshua's name we pray.